Catholic Chicago. Ahead, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago. Welcome to On The Way. This is Beth White, and I am your host this morning. I'm from the Office for Evangelization and Missionary Discipleship here in the Archdiocese of Chicago. And I am um, a part of a team called the, the Building the New Reality Team which is a part of Renew My Church. And so on this show, I've spoken about Renew My Church. We've talked about it along the way, just the renewal effort of Archbishop Supich, Cardinal Supich, here in the Archdiocese. And with me today, um, I have a couple of parish vitality coordinators and a lifelong formation coordinator. And we're just going to talk about this moment of time we're in. All of our parishes, almost all of our parishes, we have just a couple outliers, um, have finished what we call decisions and discernment. That was the phase in which parishes came together in groupings. They reflected on their reality, their geography, their demographics, um, their mass counts, their bank accounts, all those kinds of things, and said, how can we actually serve this area, this the, these people within this geographical area better, and what is that going to look like structurally? So they made decisions about which churches closed, which ones stayed open, which parishes came together, which stand, stand alone. Um, and then many of the parishes, those that went through some structural change, meaning two or three parishes came together and became one new community. They went through what's called operations transition when they got a new name, many of them. Um, they got uh, a new website. They they combined up their bulletins. They kind of now become one community. And many parishes are still in the operations transition. But then the last phase is called building the new reality. And that's the spiritual renewal piece. And all the work that's been done to this point was for the purpose of bringing about the spiritual renewal here in our archdiocese. And I and I talk about that a lot, uh, the culture of evangelization and everything that we've been doing. But today, I really want to talk to some of the folks that have been on the ground since the beginning or along the way in parishes. So first up, I have with me is I have Brian Romer Nemec. And Brian is the lifelong formation coordinator for Vicariate 2. And I have Sarah Picar, who is the Parish Vitality Coordinator, also for Vicariate 2. So this is a team. They work with their bishop. Bishop Artosik happens to be their bishop. And they work in our, in this archdiocese. We have what's called um, six different um, um, 
ooh, I just lost, vicariates. Ooh, I lost the word for some reason. Um, and so we have six uh, bishops who oversee their respective vicariates, and so they're in two. So Brian, tell our listeners kind of what are the boundaries of vicariate two? Oh, you're on so mute. the cathedral, um, oh, just north of the river, goes north all the way up to the county border with, uh, with Lake County, and then sort of goes west to the highway, 9094, and then when 9094 split, it follows 94 up to the border. So we have that northeast section of, uh, of the city and the uh, suburbs of Cook County. Excellent, excellent. Um, and so they have work in this area, and uh, they work very much as a team. So could you share with our listeners, you have some parishes who have been in this process for over four years who are in the spiritual renewal. They would have started their decisions and discernment about five years ago, and then they went through um, that process and then started engaging with you guys and our team about four years ago. Um, and so tell us a little bit about what you have learned in this process over these years about what's important to bring about spiritual renewal. Because we have a lot more parishes coming our way. So, but we've had the chance to make some mistakes and learn some things and grow. And so what are some things you've learned, Sarah? Boy, Beth, that is a great question. There's so many things that we've learned. Um, I guess I would just suggest starting at the very beginning, which is um, the need to know where we're going if we want to make movements towards change. So the importance of having a vision, uncovering um, the vision that's been given to us by Christ himself and, and by, um, it's been articulated in various ways over the course of time in the church with our, our various popes, which is how critical that is in, in any sort of lasting change is we find a lot of parishes, and, and I myself want to take steps in the right direction, but unless we know what the end goal is, it's really hard to measure our success. Um, so we spend a lot of time working with pastors and lay leaders, really trying to help um, prayerfully discern in this local community, whatever the community is, how does this larger vision of renewal that's being cast uh, for us and, and with us how do we want to define that for our people? Um, because if we don't get that right, if we don't have a very clear sense of where we're going, it will be really hard to know if we've gotten there um, and to know which steps to take to arrive at that, uh, the fruitful, inspiring future that we hope to see in the church. Um, yeah, I think that's a, a big learning is getting that right from the beginning. And how about you, Brian? What would you add to that? Um, yeah, and, and I think, and I think the the sort of the big linchpin to realize that is is really the pastor and his three or four or five closest collaborators, right? And so, uh, in parishes where the pastor is open and uh, and you know passionate about uh, wanting to move the community from maintenance to mission, and and is and is is open and excited to collaborate with his lay leaders because he knows he cannot do it himself. Uh, I think we that that openness really goes a long way in realizing this type of culture change that we're looking for. Um, and in places where um, that lay leadership or that openness or that um, that desire to, for movement doesn't isn't there, then there, there's you know no no program or um, 
or support can can really move that needle. So I think just this the desire among the the senior leaders of a parish to to work towards this is is probably the most important factor. So I want to uh, unpack that just a little bit because I think we are pretty steeped in this, and so we have some assumptions that we make that folks would understand what you mean by that. So what do you mean when you say the priest knows he can't do it alone? Because really Mm. the way that our parishes have functioned is that the pastor in every way is the spiritual shepherd, the CEO, um, the head handyman, um, the accountant, you name it. Um, In some of our communities, the pastor sort of does everything. Um, What does that mean you can't do it alone? Yeah, I I guess I would... um... I guess I would go back all the way to, to Jesus and, and the Gospels, right? So, um, you know, we say that, who, you know, who founded the church? You know, well, Jesus founded the church through the Holy Spirit, you know, at, at Pentecost. Um, but, you know, Jesus, when he was on the earth, he had 12 disciples. He didn't spend the same amount of time with every person he came in contact with. You know, he preached to thousands. He healed the masses. Um, but really, there were there were twelve people that he spent most of his time with, and then within that those twelve people, there were really three: Peter, James, and John, that he invested disproportionately into, um, and those were the leaders after he uh, rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. That that began this mission of the church, you know, to go out uh, and make disciples and baptize and teach. Uh, and so, thinking about that way of leadership. We realize that the pastor can't do it all, right? He can't know everybody intimately enough in his community that he can actually walk with people on their journey in faith, right? There's just not enough hours in the day. Mm-hmm. And then add on that all of the administrative pieces and the buildings and the roofs and, and everything like that. And so we've realized that for pastors to be successful, they need to be able to they need to be able to name you know, I can't walk with everybody, but I can walk with these five people and invest a lot of time in them and raise them up to be great leaders. And I can have those five leaders invest in the next level of, of individuals, the next group of people and over invest in them. And only in those highly relational ways can a community begin to support each other along this journey in renewal. And so I guess that's what I mean by the pastor can't do it all. Yeah. yeah. Beth, could I add something to yes, that? Yes, please. I think at the same time, uh, there's the reality that each one of us is made uniquely with different gifts, Mm, with different strengths and with different things that we either really don't like to do or are not very gifted at doing. And so uh, for each one of our pastors, I mean, they have a tremendous responsibility to lead a community, to make decisions on behalf of the community. And, um, and when I, when, when I think, uh, I agree with everything Brian said, but when, when I think a pastor can't do it alone, I think that um, in terms of the, the weight of leadership, uh, having, having complementary gifts surround a pastor to help um, really any of us, but particularly in this case, the pastor, um, provide alternate perspectives and to help him with the things that maybe he's not gifted at or things that he really doesn't enjoy doing very much. Um, having, having multiple voices to support his leadership is indispensable. I think if I were given the responsibilities that a pastor were, I would certainly need a team of people to to help me make the best decisions that are ultimately for the benefit of um, the mission of, of the parish. And so. And to um, flip that the yeah. opposite way, um, 
it also gives the pastor, it frees up the pastor to be able to use the gifts more fully that God has given him. Because I don't know about, I think all of our listeners can probably identify with this. When something's within your wheelhouse, when you're gifted at it, it comes easy and it gives you passion, right? It may not be easy, but it comes easier, right? Like it, it, Mm -hmm. it, it, your gift from God is like something that gives you life, right? But those things that aren't your giftedness, gosh, it can take a, you have to wrestle with it. And it's not that we shouldn't do those things, clearly, but it's just really hard and you can put those things off, right? And if you can let somebody else who's gifted in that do that, then that gives the pastor time to be able to do those things that really he's called to do, right? That he was formed to do, which is to be a spiritual leader, right? Um, So that's one of the pieces that is this new sense of, I guess, shared leadership, but not quite shared leadership. Like he is still the the um the buck stops whatever you say with the, the pastor right that that is can, canon law and there's no way around that um but it is a sense of building a team around him that he trusts um that he can empower and that will be honest with him right that will call him out when he's doing things that like aren't healthy or or that he actually could have somebody else doing right that to give him time to do something else. Um, what are you seeing some of the first fruits of that, Brian? Are you seeing um, anyone uh, pastors who we had last month? We had Father Matt Heinrich on, uh, and he was talking a little bit about this this need to have a team of folks. And so, are you seeing that priests that are engaged in this way are finding life in it, or is it a struggle to convince them? No, I think that I think there's a lot of life that I'm seeing in pastors who are engaging in this sort of leadership style. Um, you know, Matt Heinrich is certainly one of them, but there are there are you know there are several throughout our vicariate that are a couple of years into this sort of leadership model, and and they're really uh, and they're really flourishing, I think, because of it. And and also the the lay leadership in their parishes are also flourishing because of it, right? So and and. You know, I think we, we all are familiar with the the model in parish life where if somebody's good at something, we want them to stay in that position for as long as possible because then we don't have to worry about it, right? Like Mrs. Right. Mrs. Smith is going to teach second grade first communion religious ed because, you know, she says yes to that every year and, and I don't have to worry about finding another catechist. Um, but yet when we think about how are we leading as people who support others in their leadership, then we start to see, we start to be asking the questions of, well, how can this particular disciple, this leader, continue to grow in their leadership, continue to grow in their discipleship? What is the next step? What is the next, uh, what is the next piece of authority and power that I want to invest them in to continue to help them grow as missionary disciples in this community and on mission for the, for the church and the world? Um, and so I think we've seen in these parishes uh, a growth of the number and quality of, of lay leaders, uh, which has been really um, beautiful to see, right? Because that's uh, it's the only way that these communities begin to flourish and have and have men and women who can support others along this journey from, um, you know, from sort of engaged Catholics or not engaged Catholics to actual missionary disciples of Christ. So it's, yeah, lots of fruits. That's um, the lifting people up. Um, well, like you said, you, you end up in a position forever, and so people don't want to volunteer for anything, right? Um, 
So we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about the lay leadership and how that has been a really good early learning. Charities Refugee Resettlement Program has been especially busy this year, assisting individuals and families who have fled dangerous situations in their homeland, including Afghanistan and the Ukraine. The Refugee Resettlement Team helps with everything they need to start to rebuild their lives in a new country, including housing, employment, clothing, food, English classes, and referrals for legal and immigration services. The refugees are tremendously grateful for the compassion and practical help they're receiving, and they're giving back and helping each other plan for a brighter, safer future. Volunteer opportunities are currently available for those who would like to be family mentors and tutors so children and adults can practice English. To learn more about these rewarding opportunities, call 312-655-7096. That's 312-655-7096. This is year 44 for me teaching. When I started here, there were teachers here that had taught me when I was a student. Now I'm the old person. (laughs) Right now, I teach junior high math. I love when kids find what I'm teaching to be fun and they get it. They see that light bulb go off and it's a thrill. People are always amazed. What? What? You're here for 44 years? It's hard for me to believe, frankly. (laughs) I love what I do. Every summer I think, oh, I miss the classroom. Even on the weekends, I think I can't wait to get back on Monday and teach those quadratic equations. (laughs) Shape the next generation of leaders. Teach. Apply today at artchicago.org slash schooljobs. Join Catholic Charities on Friday, December 2nd for the 33rd annual Spirit of St. Nicholas Ball at the Chicago Hilton. The Spirit of St. Nicholas Ball is one of the most elegant galas of the holiday season in Chicago and proceeds provide critical funding for our programs and services into the new year. Families, friends, and work colleagues make a tradition out of gathering at this extraordinary black tie event to celebrate the Christmas season. Enjoy an opening reception, gourmet meal, and live entertainment courtesy of the Ken Arlen Orchestra, all in support of Catholic Charities. Don't miss this special night for a great cause on Friday, December 2nd. To purchase tickets for the Spirit of St. Nicholas Ball, visit catholiccharities.net slash events or call 312-948-6963. That's 312-948-6963.
Welcome back to On The Way. This is Beth White, your host this morning for the Office for Evangelization and Missionary Discipleship. I have with me Sarah Picar, the Parish Vitality Coordinator from Vicariate 2 and also from that Vicariate, Brian Romer-Nemiak, who is the Lifelong Formation Coordinator. So Brian, you were just talking about uh, lay leadership and how with this uh, new reality is that it isn't the pastor just going alone, but also surrounding himself with laity who helping them see that by him walking with them, spending time with them, empowering them, equipping them, then they're asked to then do the same for others, that you're seeing the laity become stronger and this sense of living into their missionary discipleship. So Sarah, could you share with our listeners maybe an example of that, what you're seeing, how lay people are really um, sort of stepping into this? Yeah, absolutely. We have a couple of great examples. Um one in particular, a, a director of evangelization in one of our parishes who uh, has been really inspired by, he said, I've never had better support um, in a role from a boss than than here in this oh, job. Wow. And my pastor has been dedicated to having one-on-one meetings with me to hear um, what are my challenges, what's going well, what's bearing fruit, and how he can support me. And he says that the the change in perspective, the change in the way he's invested in me has made all the difference. And now I want to lead all of my teams in the same way. Um, and is thinking through, right? So he, the pastor is modeling for him a healthy way of supporting instead of a reporting relationship, but supporting a, uh, um, a, a missionary disciple himself and, and a, an employee. And so now this, this lay leader is thinking through, okay, when I have, when I'm leading an alpha team, when I'm leading a next steps group, when I, whatever I'm doing, like, I want to employ that same mechanism, that same methodology of really investing in my team. And, and just think of like the, the implication of that all the way down through, right? Imagine a parish where every person who's in a leadership role is supporting um, a small team with one-on-one direct accompaniment support to make sure that whatever they're doing in the parish is thriving um, and that they have the, the adequate support necessary to continue enabling disciples of Christ to be formed and to, to be, to be made and to be formed and to be empowered. So there's a really one really specific example of a, a lay leader wrestling with, um, how can I be a, a bottle opener to support all of these people in our community, not only in their leadership development, but also in their discipleship and, and, uh, their relationships with Christ in the church. So, so one of the great gifts, um, that I had was, oh gosh, I think it was sometime in the summer. Um, you all invited me to join you for a conversation with some of your parishes that are furthest along. Um, in the room were um, pastors and lay leaders, um, four or five parishes, five parishes, I think, represented-ish. Um, and I was more of an observer than anything. I was just there to hear what they were doing. And these are parishes that are all have been working on spiritual renewal um, for three to four years, uh, two and a half to four years, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And they have um, pretty dedicated pastors living this out and trying the best. We we don't do everything perfectly all the time. But I was really struck. They were talking about next steps after Alpha. And one of the tendencies in the Catholic Church is just to do program after program after program. That we say, oh, we'll try this new program. Oh, this new program. How about this program? Um, 
the shiny new program. And what was really interesting is no one was talking about what program they were going to do next. Mm -hmm. And I was really struck by that. Brian, can you speak to that a little bit about what you heard in the room as well? Yeah, I, I think I think in the room it was it was probably one of the first times that I've been in a room with that many people from that many different parishes. And the the tone we spoke from a place of uh the priority being on the relationship, the the journey with Christ in the context of a community. So we, we spoke from that context versus the context of um information, right? It, it's not about the inf the amount of information we know about faith. It's about the, knowing the person who is at the center of our faith and that the parish community's role is to accompany us on that journey to fall more deeply in love with Jesus and to respond to that love uh, as a missionary disciple for the life of the world, right? And so as I, was, as I was hearing the questions, the challenges, the struggles, they were all about how do we do that accompaniment better? How do yeah. we raise up leaders that walk with people along that journey? What what does that formation look like? What is you know what what are the spaces that we need to create that that maximize that and celebrate that reality of, of a journey of the journey uh, in, in our communities? And so it was just it was it was just really. Um, it was really cool, uh, but it was also really edifying that they were so charged and so excited by by this way of being church, um, and that and it it just really spoke to how far we have come in only three or four years. That that was the central topic, not information, not programs, not you know the shiny new toy, but but the actual work of journeying with people in Christ. And all of these parishes use Alpha, and in the very beginning, people were like, "Well, what's Beta? What's Beta?" Right? And that isn't what they were talking about, and. It was really interesting because they were all very distinct communities. They were, um, some weren't linked at all except being in your own vicariate. Um, mm -hmm. And that's how I knew the spirit was there, is their inclination was, how do we lift up people who can have individual conversations with people and really feel, determine what's in their heart and what the Holy Spirit's leading them to next? Whether that's a Bible study or learn how to pray or join a course at Mundelein, whatever that is that God's calling them to, how do we lift up people? So Sarah, how do you see that as a a real fruit of what we're trying to do? And honestly, it's kind of hard. Um, mm. It's going to be a real, it's going to be more challenging than program, 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 right? Right. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're circling around a really important concept, right, is that it's the, it's about the people, and especially when it comes to, um, I, like, helping a pastor, helping a community begin this process. Like, who are the people who are already exhibiting that culture change? Who are the people already who are able to to share very commonly about what Christ is doing in my life and, and what my prayer life has been like and... Um, just able to very easily witness to that sort of a relationship with Christ um, and to listen well and walk with people um, and to show them that that kind of relationship is possible. I'm not sure if that's, that's what exactly no, your, I mean, your that's, point is, the question you're getting to. Yeah, it's going to be, it's but hard Matt, though. So we talk, we often talk about we our little catchphrase. It's, uh, it's the who, not the what. It's the, mm -hmm. the people, the missionary disciples, as Brian mentioned, um, the, these folks who can do exactly what Sarah said, pray with you, listen, not have a, an agenda, um, really listen in your own story to where God is at work in your own story and just 
be a person not with a theology degree, not, I mean, you could have, no, no, I have one, you, all three of us have one, not, it's not that, but it's like being people from the pews who have a relationship with Jesus, who actually can have those conversations with other people, right? And so it's lifting up those initial people and then helping to form more of those folks, right? That's, but so that's hard work because it's very relational. It's not just putting in a DVD and, or downloading something, I guess, nowadays. <laughs> right. And it takes a ton of investment of time. And I yeah. think that's what makes it challenging right. is right. that it isn't, uh, there's not like a quick one pager. There's not like a three week program to form these, these people. It right. takes that one-on-one and you can only do that with so many people at a time which is why culture change is really slow right um because it takes a relationship and um some folks will be ready to 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 turn outward and and begin those types of conversations sooner than others and um but it's a really beautiful unfolding of of the spirit and god at work in people's lives so i think it's like the coolest job i could possibly have well unfortunately our <laughs> time happen overnight unfortunately our time together has come to a close so um i'm just really grateful for the two of you in this season of thanksgiving that we're about and ready to enter into so thank you for all your great work and we look forward to having you come back sometime to hear more about the work that you're doing thank you guys thanks Beth. thanks Beth. Take care. Ancestry and genealogy are more important every day. People all over the world are wanting to learn more about their family heritage for personal and for health reasons. At Catholic Charities, we are hearing from adults who lived for a brief time at St. Vincent's Orphanage, the wonderful life-affirming agency that operated out of our headquarters for 91 years, serving thousands of women, children, and families until it closed in 1972. Our post-adoption services help adults who want to learn more about their experience at St. Vincent's. Our compassionate staff members provide whatever family background information they can offer, along with support and reunion services. To learn more, call 312-655-7093. That's 312-655-7093. The spirit of St. Vincent's lives on in the inspiring stories that continue to emerge today. I am a seminarian. The church needs compassionate and well-trained priests to help guide each of us through life. What inspires me, what draws me always to the priesthood is continue to see priests be a beacon of hope for other people. You can play a part in the education of these young men as they prepare for a life of service to others. I want to be that beacon of hope too, and it, it sets my heart on fire. To support our seminarians, make your gift at archchicago.org slash seminarianfund or call 312-534-7959.
The cemetery ministry is a core ministry of our Catholic faith tied to the corporal works of mercy. It's comforting to know that our Catholic cemeteries are caring for the remains of our loved ones awaiting the resurrection. There are 44 Archdiocese of Chicago Catholic cemeteries willing to help you in your time of loss. Call 708-449-6100 or visit catholiccemeterychicago.org. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837. You're listening to Catholic Chicago. Ahead, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago. Welcome back to On The Way. This is Beth White, your host this morning from the Office for Evangelization and Missionary Discipleship here in the Archdiocese of Chicago. So we're going to continue our conversation about building the new reality and where we are in Renew My Church at this moment in time. Our, get, our next guest is Rick Moreno. Rick is the Parish Vitality Coordinator for Vicariate 4, the same role that Sarah, who we just spoke with, has. So welcome, Rick. Hi. Hi. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. Good morning. How's it going, Beth? It's the morning. So we are, um, Rick, just to give our listeners um, a sense of the boundaries of Vicariate 4, could you just give us a sense? I explained at the first half of the show that each Vicariate, we have six in this diocese, has their own um, bishop, and yours is Bishop Kevin Birmingham. And what are the boundaries of Vicariate 4? Uh, generally speaking, I always say uh, Vicariate 4 is center west in the Archdiocese of Chicago. Um, generally, everything just about west of Cicero all the way to 294 Highway, which is actually the county line. It borders the Joliet Diocese at that point. Mm-hmm. And everything south of the Kennedy and north of 55, the Stevenson. So that center west okay. triangle. Got it. I think I've heard it's something around 26 different principalities in terms of towns and cities, a little bit of the northwest side of Chicago, uh, places like Oak Park, Cicero, Berwyn, Melrose Park, uh, Norridge, all these areas. Yeah, um, all the way over to Western Springs. um, Yeah, up to O'Hare, that's right. So it's it's a very diverse, uh, but dense and centrally located part of the diocese. Um, So Vicariate 2 sits... Major highways... Vicariate 2 sits right above you, right? Vicariate 2 is right above us. Mm -hmm. Got it. And 5 is right below us. 3 is right between us and towards the lake. Right. And um, in that sense, we have contact with those three vicariates, but we don't really have any physical contact with one or six per se. Got it. Perfect. So, um, Rick, we were we were continuing this conversation. I explained at the top of the show um, that the decisions and discernment phase and operations transition and how we're a part of the building the new reality team and how we're at an inflection point because most of our parishes are now um, at the cusp of or invitation into building the new reality. But we've been at this for a while. Uh, so at this moment, just reflecting on 
what we've learned so far and what will help us continue to build this out moving forward. So what's a top lesson that you've learned um, since we've been at this for about four years? Intentionally, you have a couple parishes that we started working with about four years ago, others three years ago. Um, so what, what's a, what are some key things that you've been learning about um, spiritual renewal? I think, you know, first highlighting that the experience of looking back from this moment as we transition from that operational moment of discernment and decisions, which has deep spiritual meaning and impact, to now focusing in on what the actual spiritual renewal, the real end game, and we have to name that the real purpose of all of this change and transition uh, is for spiritual renewal. Mm -hmm. Uh, the call that we have at the heart of our vocation to renew, renew our faith and renew it as a community of believers. Uh, and to do that in parishes, um, it, it was a huge learning curve for all of us as yeah. going from pilots to waves. And, and each year, each iteration within our years, uh, we learn more and we have to adapt. So there is a really strong sense of having to grow into uh, what transition and change requires. And a lot of that is organic growth. And I think there's a lot of insight, and we have to honor that learning process and the insights that come through it. Um, and so this moment's really powerful in the sense to be able to grasp that. I think one of the earliest things that was a huge insight and a very powerful moment of transition for us, uh, becoming clear about how we can be effective, is vision. Mm. Being able to cast vision, being able to dream, being able to take those dreams and be honest sometimes very hard, but yet not lose fact of what that dream is and making sure that that dream and that vision is rooted in foundational principles that are both unifying in the sense that unifies us, brings us together as a diocese and as a mission in Jesus Christ, unified to the mission of Jesus Christ himself, Christ's vision, as some people say, which is actually critical. And also at the same time, only foundational, so unique communities can grow into or on top of those principles, not a vision that stifles them or makes them do something in particular. And that balance is based on trust and relationships and encouragement within parish communities and through support. I think this is one of the biggest learnings that we began to see very quickly, but what that meant over time continued to grow, Beth. So one of the key, Sarah kind of touched on this vision as well. So there's a vision that's coming from Cardinal Supich that we are called to renewal, that we are called to look at Pope Francis, who actually has the, the vision, right, for creating um, spaces in which we accompany people on their journey and we create missionary disciples who go outward and bring the message of Jesus into their lives, into their workplace, into their Thanksgiving tables. And it doesn't mean necessarily going door to door or anything like that. It's just equipping people to be able to feel safe about those conversations. So that's a big vision. Locally, the vision is make disciples, build communities, inspire witness, which is all a part of that, right? And underlying that are some of the ways that we're going to make that happen, right? So what you're saying, though, is in a particular parish, when I say make disciples, build communities, inspire witness, we have to recognize the cultural context, the spiritual context. Do they already have a lot of good stuff happening? 
And do they have nothing happening, meaning for adults? Like that's a lot of our work is for adults, right? So it isn't that you just get this blank canvas. It's like a shared, I think one of the most beautiful things I heard you say is that as a church, we're coming together because it isn't parish competing with parish anymore, which is often what we had. It's actually we all have a shared vision. So why do you think that's such an important piece of this renewal because I know you're the vision guy in the diocese Rick is the person that's like he gets out he has spread vision for years um, and he just really believes strongly if people don't know what vision is then they actually can't move together so why is that important Rick so I think the reason it's important is because of people and being human if we don't have a map or if we don't have a sense of where we're supposed to go how will we know what to do? How will we know what pathway we're supposed to travel? How can we trust our next steps, right? So vision begins to set stability, expectation, hope. We saw a lot of hope come through vision. Mm. But I think the thing that was most fundamental and most insightful was being able to share this vision, not only with the pastor and staff and parish councils, which is also very critical, the leaders of the community, but larger, larger groups of the community, your everyday parishioner can begin to hear this vision. Because I think underneath, you know, let's say those three key areas of making disciples, building community, inspiring witness, or any of the other strategic sort of areas or systematic sort of expressions of our vision, the underlying and common denominator of all of it is our parishioners. Mm -hmm. Without our parishioners being raised up, without our parishioners envisioning and recognizing themselves as part of the vision, this renewal process will go nowhere. What we began to recognize, this renewal process is built around elevating our parishioners to a level of leadership in a new culture that's rooted in evangelization. I always say our vision is fundamentally based on two pillars, two legs, like a body. And we won't move forward in renewal unless these two legs are strengthened and in coordination, the culture of evangelization and a culture of empowered disciple leaders that embody and carry out that culture of evangelization. That's the, that's the, the core right there. Unless we are raising up missionary disciple leaders, not just as our priests, our staffs, but the entire church community, that sense of unity again echoed from within, unless we're doing that, our renewal will continue to struggle. But the more that we are able to help our parishes and each parishioner in their own way begin to envision that goal and envision themselves as part of that goal, it'll be a hard, difficult movement of renewal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, Brian and Sarah were touching on it in a slightly different way in terms of uh, just to connect the dots for our listeners, is when they were talking about the priest who um, focuses on uh, six or seven people like Jesus did, and then they are called to focus on others. And Sarah shared the story of a staff member, evangelization lead, um, director of evangelization, who the pastor sits with and says, what, what's going on? How can I help you? Where are you seeing fruit? Just this sense of not just reporting, but actually wanting to accompany him on this journey. And now he wants to do that for others in the parish, this sense of helping people live into their baptismal call and into their giftedness and bring, bringing that to, to bear. Um, and so... 
I think that that's a key piece here when you talk about empowering the lady. And that doesn't mean that doesn't mean they take over the church. What does that mean, empowering the lady? Well, again, I think we return to this fundamental mark of our Catholic Church, unity. It means doing it together, doing it with harmony, doing it with respect, doing it with the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit, uh, and recognizing that we are Christ's church, head and members, and we are only as effective as we are unified, and we are only as powerful as we do it together as a community of faith. And uh, Christ calls all of us to that mutual responsibility of evangelization. And if you read the church's reflections on this in the documents that have been uh, created, especially in the recent century, the very inherent character of our baptism is evangelization. And that each of us are called to proclaim through our lives, both implicitly and explicitly, uh, the saving truth of Jesus Christ. And not just simply as a ticket to get out of jail and go to heaven, but as a bringing about the kingdom in this world and the implications of this world, embracing this world as good and very good, and that that message of good and very good at the very beginning of our written tradition uh, is the very character of evangelization. So that is just a hopeful, fulfilling message. And the more that we recognize that good and very good is not a select group of people or a particular person or a particular class, but it's the call of all of humanity and all of the cosmos, all of the world. Um, this begins to recognize within ourselves that each one of us play a part and we need to both accompany, empower, acknowledge, and respect that part each one of us play. Uh, that's why the call to this broadening of faith and hope and love is so, you could say, essential or at the center of our very identity as Christian and as Catholic. All right, we're going to take a break, um, and we will be back to continue this conversation, Rick. Catholic Charities 75th Annual Celebration of Giving is underway in support of those who are struggling to make ends meet every day. Individuals, families, colleagues, neighbors, parishioners, and friends purchase thousands of gifts and basic necessities to ensure Catholic Charities clients and their families have a joyful Christmas morning. There are many ways to get involved, including online wish lists that make giving easier than ever before. If you can join us in this special Chicago Christmas tradition as volunteers and donors, please email us at cog at catholiccharities.net. That's cog at catholiccharities.net. Or call 312-655-7401 in Cook County and 847-782-4210 in Lake County. Thank you for helping us spread Christmas cheer this year throughout Cook and Lake Counties. There is no doubt 
this life is short. It is in you I trust to spread your truths, your goodness, and love. It is you who will give a leader to our church. Who will fill these shoes? We are hiring. Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Chicago is looking for mission-driven individuals who want to help make a positive difference in the lives of people in need throughout Cook and Lake Counties. Be part of a diverse, talented team of professionals in the largest human services organization in the Midwest. We are dedicated to helping people chart a more stable, happier future for themselves, and we accompany anyone in need, regardless of faith, gender, race, or ethnicity. Competitive salaries and generous benefits add to the satisfaction you'll have every day knowing that you're helping us amplify our impact in Chicago. To see our list of employment opportunities, visit catholiccharities.net. Welcome back to On The Way. This is Beth White, and I am speaking with Rick Moreno, who is the Parish Vitality Coordinator from Vicariate 4. Just before our break, Rick was talking about the ultimate call is for us, obviously, being saved to go to heaven, but really to bring the kingdom of God here on earth. So, Rick, I just want to pick up on that slightly. Um, You were talking about... um, well, the term we're going to use is missionary disciples, um, disciples who are um, comfortable enough to talk about their faith, to pray for others, to pray with others, who um, engage in the sacraments regularly, who who um, read scripture, et cetera, et cetera. So when, when we think about building the kingdom, it's interesting to me is that sometimes as people of faith, the, you said that the world is beautiful, and sometimes it's in certain circles, there's a um, us versus culture. Um, and what would you say is what's important about this renewal, about helping to build the kingdom? What does that look like in, for our listeners? What is our role as baptized Christians in terms of this world of ours? Oh, I think you're muted. Rick, can you pause for a moment? So we're having a, a a slight technical difficulty. Rick is speaking, but I can't hear him. Sorry, okay. Good there morning. we Sorry go. All right. <laughs> Start over, in, Rick. In the, in the context of our conversation, uh, the word culture has come up, and you bring it up again, especially in the context of evangelization culture, um, and the, especially coupled with this idea of uh, the world, its goodness, but at times its difficulties and its struggles. And I think the first thing we have to acknowledge is there just isn't one culture. There are many cultures and many dynamics within cultures. And when we speak about a culture of evangelization, uh, this is a particular culture and it may run up against or be in consonance with or 
require changing in itself according to good adaptions within our you know, let's say secular culture, there are good things there uh, that would empower our evangelization culture. So uh, there's a reciprocity, uh, like any relationship uh, between cultures. Uh, but what we do recognize at the heart of our culture of evangelization is the charismatic message of God's redeeming love for us and his son. But that culture will never lose that if it's an evangelizing culture, but will grow and adapt according to the unique and especially good and very good aspects of emergent cultures and historical cultures. And weighing those relationships is a deeply powerful and profoundly uh, serious, in a sense, responsibility of discernment. So at the heart of culture, our own culture of our family, culture of one's own soul, culture of a parish community, a diocese and a church is discernment. And I think that's one of the things we were blessed with in all of its difficulties was a return to discern. Mm. What does it mean to discern? I don't think in some ways we can take this profoundly enough and its implications on our life. And the way that we continue to work towards building good cultures through a culture of evangelization is a pathway of discernment. And listening to uh, the Holy Spirit, right? What is God yes, trying yes. to say to us at this moment in time? We can't what the world is telling us with the decline in church attendance and with a with a more and more secular culture that we're being told something right and we need to listen to that right isn't that discerning you can't just keep doing things the way we've always been doing things we could discernment, but yeah discernment starts from a predisposition of receptivity of mm -hmm. listening of mystery i don't know I don't know the answers. Right. I don't have the pre-judgment, a priori, preconditioned assumptions. I have to learn to put those aside. And I have to say that Christ is, the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Trinity is speaking through this new time, not through judgment, but even if it were through judgment, it would only be directed towards his mercy. Mm, yeah. I was just reading the, the Holy Father's encyclical face of mercy for the holy year of 2015 and he starts it out quite simply the face of mercy found in jesus christ sums up the whole entire message not judgment but the face of mercy mm. that sums up the whole entire message and the face of another may be one of the things that should provoke fundamentally discernment in the heart of another person if I can't see in the face of another the call of holiness, you know, uh, the image and likeness of God, and that elevates my heart to God himself, if I can't see that, then my heart is cold, and it needs to be awakened. Mm. And so everything that God allows is to awaken us to a beauty that is present, present in the face of the other, present in his giftedness. And in some ways, the culture of evangelization is here to attune us to that presence, right? And so part of the change is that we, yes, we need to be a part of a faith community and go to mass and the Cardinal is lifting the, um, returning the obligation, but that's because we need to be together. It's, it's this sense of we can't do this alone, right? So yes, coming to mass, but the, the reality of what we're called to do, especially in this moment in time, is to bring Christ outward, right? to be Christ for others so that they may never step across a threshold of a church, 
but we hope they would encounter the joy, the love, the mercy of Christ in us. And that's what we're really calling in this time of renewal, right? That we're actually saying it's not enough. We need spaces, but we need people out there bringing Christ's love into the world. In that sense of the liturgical gathering and the gathering of the community in any form, not mm-hmm. just mass, although mass yeah. is very important, gathering, the unifying of belief together mm-hmm. as individuals, uh, absolutely. And that we only gather to go out. We right. only gather to go out, exactly. right? To, to, to bring that face of mercy forth. to the world. Yes. That's right. That's yeah. right. And, and, and literally to receive, not to possess and hold and protect what we receive, but to give it. Right to mm-hmm. pour out. We read many. I mean, I read many of the spiritual fathers, and they make it very clear that our richness in Christ, the mercy we've received, that richness is only there that we may pour it forth upon others. Right. Right. So our whole sacramental system is based on receiving a great risk, richness in faith, founded on faith, yep. right, and belief that then I can pour forth that belief into the world. It's the, same, it's the same as our gifts, right? We we believe that we're given gifts, not for Absolutely. our own edification, but for the purpose of others, right? To build up this kingdom. So it's the same thing, right? It's our, we, we get the grace of faith so that we can help someone else have that faith, right? Like it's, it's this, none of it's for me alone. It's for God to bring about the, the kingdom and, and to save people, right? right? Right. I, you know, one of the things I think in our culture is uh, mutual benefit, common good, right? Mm. Everything, God created everything for common good and right. mutual benefit, right? Right. And the means it's of that is not me versus mutual. you. It's we, the more no. we, it's we it, build up together, yeah. right? Exactly. Common gifts and unique gifts. You have gifts, Beth, that no one else has, and the world benefits, common good benefits by your unique gifts. This is a great mystery of God's. Yeah. Uh, love and providence is that right. Beth White or any believer can put their unique gifts at the service of the common good mm-hmm. in a way that no one else can. Right. And right. this is the beauty of our faith. This is this is profound. And that's the beauty of our renewal is that's what we're calling people to do, to stop exactly. seeing that your your gift. I, I don't need to be jealous of your gifts because that's not the purpose. The pur- Your gifts are to build me up, too. Right. That's how we are saying is that we need people to become fully missionary disciples so that they actually bring their giftedness into the world. So uh, quickly, Ida is one of our evangelization leads, and she shared that she's a social worker and she um, listens to people like she's a therapist for people with lots of trauma. And she used to just keep her faith on the side. But before she starts her sessions, she actually prays for the people. She doesn't bring her spiritual language into the conversation or any of that. That's not what she's doing. She prays for them, though, and she prays for them after. And she said it's transformed her and it's transformed her sessions. And that's a beautiful thing to think about. Like, that's a missionary disciple who isn't like, I'm going to check my faith in this box over here or I'm going to push it on someone. It's this balance of really recognizing who you are and your gifts that God's given you and be thankful for those gifts, right? So it's a. I think in our culture, we forget belief is very human. Yeah. Faith is very human. Very human. And, and when we don't work out of faith or belief, before we get to what we believe or what we should believe or how we should believe it, we have to honor people's faith. We have yeah. to honor people's belief 
as a human experience. So I gotta and end our conversation. I gotta end our conversation, Rick. I gotta like end. I could just keep talking to you. So <laughs> uh, that is the end of our show. So thank you so much, Rick, and thank you to our listeners. And go out there and change the world. Can I